0: On this episode of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we're going to be talking about Hamilton City Council. Do we have a council that is incapable of making a quick decision? We're going to talk about, with Bill Kelly about that. We're also going to chat about Robert Ripley. Now, Robert Ripley is the guy from Ripley's Believe It or Not. A hundred years ago, his first comic came out. He was a cartoonist originally, but he is still relevant today, and the, his biographer is going to tell us why. Also... We're going to be chatting about Mackenzie Entwistle, who's made Team Canada a Hamilton Bulldog player, who's now in Canada's World Junior Team, and we're going to chat about the Blue Jays and what happens when a bunch of CFL quarterbacks bolt for the NFL, if that happens. All that's coming up on the podcast. Take a listen.
1: Today on the Scott Bradley Show on 900 CHML. If you
0: were here yesterday, you heard we were chatting with Councillor Sam Marula. After Hamilton City Council spent eight hours debating the pros or cons of cannabis stores in the city, eight hours, eight hours. Now the pros, and I'm reducing this down to the bare minimum because it was eight hours, but the pros behind this would be more provincial money coming into the city for at least one year after this one. Everyone gets the money this year. Then it's after this, if we sign on, we get more and potentially a better opportunity to undercut the black market. The cons that were argued is that it put, could potentially cost the city more in because this is a one-time capital thing, but it's an ongoing expense to monitor these things. It could potentially cost the city more in operating costs. Anyway, eight hours. Then it got put over because it got kind of got stopped, but then they had to bring it up again today. Today they debated it again. And the result, drum roll please, put over again January 14. It will be revisited. This gives them an opportunity to study the matter. Yes, have city staff do some studying of this. Have you heard this kind of story before? Like lots of times before? Now, I grant you this is an important issue, but it does seem to follow the pattern that we have seen with many other things in many years recently with city council. Delay, 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 not make a decision, drag it on, drag it on. Well, this is a brand new council. We have five new councillors on this council, yet once again, we seem to be anyway in the early days stuck in this situation of paralysis by analysis. Can't seem to make a decision. Bill Kelly, who you hear every morning at 9 till 12 here on 900 CHML, I like to think of him as the Walter Cronkite of Hamilton, joins me now. Bill, how are you tonight? Thanks for doing this.
2: Great, guy. Uh,
0: would yeah, it have I'm
2: been? Glad to be the opening act for your Elf again. Anybody that heard the original years ago, I had Ed the sock on my show. This is back in the 1990s, <laughs> and it was uh, it was an adventure. Okay, uh, so good luck with this.
0: Well, it, at least we don't have to redo it. This is a tape of an original one, but it did require some cutting and snipping oh, and you cutting. Are,
2: yeah, okay, you can edit. I was live to yes. that night. Well, it was. It was it was, oh, anyway. The I'm time still on we the did air, this. So I guess it was okay.
0: Yeah, the day we did this one with Hermie the Elf was live, and poor Luke was in on the operating operator's seat that night, and he nearly had an aneurysm trying to keep up. But anyway, <laughs> people will hear if they stick around. Yeah, uh, it's, back it's, to uh, th- Listen for it. It's a great segment. Back to this. Would it have been fair to think or to expect that the inability to make a big decision by council would have ended with a new group in office, and that maybe we would have turned a corner and had something different?
2: Uh, this is, this is a, a controversial decision, and, and Hamilton Councilor, and I mean collectively and individually, have this propensity for, I, I think I mentioned this, is, these, these guys are the Paulus Baldiston of Hamilton Councilors. They kick everything down the road uh, <laughs> as much as they can because they just don't want to make a decision because they know the next morning they are going to get a bunch of phone calls. But that goes with the job, people. Sorry. If you're trying to please everybody, you please nobody. And there's a bunch of councilors, and some of them are veterans, Scott. They should know better, but they're just afraid of the negative feedback, and they're afraid, oh, I don't know what to do. And you saw that during the debate, uh, the first one that, uh, that you talked about, not just today, but I mean the one that happened yesterday, where they were going on and on. And, and, and it was obvious to a number of people that were there that half those people hadn't even read the staff report, because they were asking questions that were right there in front of them. But they hadn 't read the report because they you know why because they had a preconceived bias about pot and, and cannabis stores, and they didn't it, 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 that guided them, not the facts in other words don 't let the facts get in the way of my preconceived opinion.
0: But I thought that especially in the early days of a new council time, a new council term, because, you know, when we get into year two, year three, year three and a half, you are now being very cautious because you want to make sure you are reelectable. But in the early days, I thought this is the opportunity when you have the political capital and the short term memories of voters that you could do something. That isn't at least I wouldn't think it's going to hamper you for the rest of your term. it's not going to prevent you from getting reelected if anyone's ever going to make a bold move, it would be now
2: you'd think so and 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 there's a couple of different things to categorize here uh, you know there's the newbies, and we'll talk about them in a second and and there are the veterans and and I you know what i I'm not dissing the people the veterans who said i'm against this they've done their work I, a number of the guys. Uh, people rather I should say on council like Chad Collins and others, they've done their homework on this, and Sam Marula the same way, and they've made a decision. You may agree with it or disagree with it, but I know when I'm talking about people like that, that you know that that, that's an informed decision. Some of the others are just going with whatever they heard, the last five phone calls they got. And and the newbies are afraid to make a stand because they're afraid that everybody who supported them is going to say, oh, yeah, you're not going to get my vote again. You're not going to put a line sign up there. The only one of the newbies who took a, I thought a, a guarded, a, a very good stand was Maureen Wilson in Ward One, who simply said, "Look at this is a smart thing to do," uh, and I know Maureen. I've known her when she was an administrator for the city many years ago. She does her work. She understands. She does her research. The rest of them, I, I I'm, I'm disappointed, frankly, in, in a lot of the, the the opinions and a lot of the ways that these people handle this, and, and some of the veterans too.
1: You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast
2: on 900
1: CHML.
0: Chatting with Bill Kelly. Yes, that Bill Kelly, the guy you hear in the morning here every day on CHML about Hamilton City Council and a pattern that seems to be developing that I thought slash hoped we might be getting away from with a brand new council with five new council members, which is this seeming inability to make a decision to keep, as Bill just said a moment ago, punting everything down the road. Bill, the, the, the message seems to be here, at least on Hamilton City Council, that caution is the best long-term strategy if you want to have long-term political survival. Just don't do anything that's going to make you the tall poppy.
2: Paralysis by analysis. Let's study this some more. As a matter of fact, the, the thing they did today, this guy, they said, we want staff to come back. No, you do your homework, councillors. Forget about staff. They've already done their homework. There's a report in front of you. Read the damn thing. All right? Make well, and asking people,
0: and yeah. asking the people again. We're going to have a, a, a petition or a, a poll yeah, on our we website. We elected
2: these people to make decisions. If we're going to do everything by consensus but public opinion, we, we don't need those 16, 18 people. Okay, we'll just do everything by opinion. This is, this is, this is obfuscating their responsibility, and it really ticks me off. Uh, I don't care whether you're for or again, but take a stand on something like this. You know, it's a... <laughs> Like my buddy Alan Carter from Global News said one time when he was talking about the NDP, he says, you know, get a copy of the Kama Sutra and learn how to take a stand on something. You know, <laughs> a position, please. Uh, and these guys just don't know how to do this because they're afraid of the pushback. And you know what? And if you're afraid of the pushback, you shouldn't be on that council. You know, get used to it, folks. That's, this is what this comes down to. This is an important decision. And, and I, I've, I've seen the arguments, and I, I've seen some of the people that are against it, assume some of the pro uh, and, and some of the arguments are so specious, though, so Scott. Well, 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 the funding formula's not right. Well, tell me something I don't know. When has the government, whether it's the federal or provincial government, ever come up with a program where the funding is sufficient? They never do. But well, well, you know something? If you opt out, if council opts out, and then says, well, this is not right, we know we need more money, the first thing the provincial government's going to say, well, we offered you more money, and you said, no, so to hell with you. Yeah, they, I mean these guys are cutting off their nose despite their face,
0: but I guarantee you that if I had all fifteen counselors and a mayor sitting in this studio right now, they would probably you you yeah well, it'd be tight uh they would probably take issue with this line of discussion, and they'd say they are merely trying to make sure they make a right decision, a correct decision on a complicated issue
2: then we, you know what scott I, I get that i listen, I walked that path, okay, I was there for nine years read the reports, talk to staff, okay? This idea about I wanted, how the people... I, I tell you right now, half the people you're going to talk to are four, half of them are going against it. You have to make an informed decision. That's why you're around that council table, all right? You can't just say, I'm going to see what people are going to have to say about this. You need to make up your mind. And, and they, there's a fear, that's what bothers me, a fear that these people are afraid to take a stand because they're afraid of the negative feedback they're going to get. And you know something? I learned this a long time ago when I was in politics. You're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Make a stand, because half the people are going to agree with you. The other half are going to think you're you're crazy for doing what you did. But you have to have a public stand, and and even and this is not just the rookies. A lot of the veterans are in the same situation. They're afraid because of the negative feedback.
0: So what does this then say about the future? Because this is this is an important issue, but this is not necessarily a city defining issue. This is not the kind of issue uh, we've got those three little letters still looming over the discussion that we know is oh, coming know up. Those, yeah. uh, what does there, the reaction here, the indecision here, say about where we're? going to be when that which really is a city defining issue comes back onto the table it's it's
2: it's it's scary and it's something that we should be concerned about and and by the way i should just mention i mentioned this on my show i don't have a dog in this hunt okay I'm, i i've never used the stuff I, I probably never plan to uh, i really don't care mind you i know a lot of people who do and i don't judge them that's what they do that's fine I'm just looking at this from a pragmatic standpoint, which unfortunately is not the, the prison that a lot of these councillors seem to look through. They, they seem to look through, oh, am I, I going to get 25 phone calls tomorrow, they're going to tell me I'm an idiot? I can't handle that. Uh, make a decision. Take a stand. That's what we elected you for.
0: Uh, during his inaugural address, and this is what really I, I find kind of interesting now, uh, mayor, and that was only, what, two weeks ago, two and a half, three weeks ago, mm-hmm. uh, the mayor said Council has to work together. We have to be a unified force. Now, we're never going to have... I don't think you want to have a perfectly unified force. We, we see that in China. We that, That's called a dictatorship when you have yeah. a perfectly unified force. However... All the votes so far on any contentious issue seem to be razor thin. 7-6 yesterday, 7-6 again yesterday, 7-6 a third time yesterday. I didn't see what the number was today, but I think it was one vote again. What does yeah, that say going person. forward? What does that say going forward? There's no unity here at all. We are split down the middle on everything, it seems.
2: Well, there's two lines of thought about that. One is, and i worked with previous mayors, who wanted to have consensus on everything. And I said, if you're working for a sixteen to nothing vote, you you're living in a dream world. This is La La Land. Get the nine votes you need if you think if this is the right thing to do and get it passed and move on. Uh every contentious issue, Scott, that we've had in this city over the last number of years, from the Red Hill, from the the expressway, from you name it, a number of things. It's never unanimous, and it shouldn't be, frankly, because there are always going to be contrary opinions. But you need, if you think it's the right thing to do, you have to find the people that are going to be supportive of this, and if it passes, it passes, and move on. Don't ever think that people are going to say, well, you know what, you convinced me. No, they're they're indoctrinated into this, and they're never going to change their opinion. And there are people on council that are like that. So get this thing out of your head that you're going to have a unanimous vote. This is never going to be a unanimous vote, and those three letters that you talked about, um, and if you think this is a difficult issue, exactly. let's wait about nine weeks until we have to go to that, and they're going to have to start talking about operational costs. Yeah, exactly. Guys, and, and you know what? Both issues, both this one and LRT, you can't punt down the road anymore. Time's out. It's out. It's it. The clock is ticking. You're in the last two minutes of the football game. And no timeouts left. Do it or not. This is where this is where you define what kind of a leadership we have. Uh, the mayor has been st- standard on this, whether you agree with him or disagree with him. Fred has said this is where I am on this issue, uh, and I, I respect that. And the, the bothersome thing that I have is there are a number of other councillors who won't get off the fence.
0: Bill, I got to can- run, sadly, but I'm hoping you're going to pick this up tomorrow morning at nine o'clock and carry oh, on with
1: this. Right one. on that.
0: Bill Kelly, morning show host here on CHML. Bill, thanks for doing this today. Appreciate
2: thanks, Daddy. it. Daddy,
1: always a pleasure. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Today is a big anniversary, 100th anniversary today of the first Ripley's Believe It or Not comic being published. Now, some of you are familiar with the Ripley's Aquarium in Toronto or the Ripley's Museum in Niagara Falls, or you're old enough to remember the Ripley's Believe It or Not TV show. Uh, Maybe you've just been familiar with the name in pop culture you may not have known that Robert Ripley, who was his name, the Robert or the Ripley behind Ripley's started as a guy drawing cartoons, comics in newspapers, introducing the world to weird and strange people and things. And so why do we bring it up today besides the anniversary? Well, because what he did was a precursor in some senses to some of the stuff we're seeing in entertainment and in media today It is a launching pad Uh, even 100 years ago for some of the stuff that we are now watching. And besides that, he's also a really interesting guy. Neil Thompson is the author of A Curious Man, which is a really, really terrific biography of Robert Ripley. Uh, I read it several months ago. Didn't know I was going to have Neil on, but I'm glad I read it already because it's a terrific book. Neil joins me now. Neil, thanks for doing this tonight.
3: Hey, Scott. How are you? Happy to be here.
0: Uh, Excellent. Uh, Before we get on to why... Uh, a a nice 100th anniversary matters and why today it's still relevant can you talk for a few minutes tell us a little bit about robert ripley because this guy uh, he he covered and brought people the strange and the weird he was a little bit of those things himself
3: yeah i think he's a super fascinating character obviously i do because i spend a lot of time researching his life and wrote a book about him but um I guess he was somebody I, I like you said, he's somebody we kind of know existed because we're mostly familiar with um, the idea of, believe it or not, and the Ripley's museums and the Ripley's books that come out every year. And I'm old enough to remember when the Ripley cartoons were still in the newspapers, um, but, but I got to a point where I wanted to know, so where did all that come from? Like, who was the guy? Who was this Ripley guy? And realized that no one had ever written a full-fledged biography of, of Robert Ripley, and he lived this incredible, incredible life. So he started out as a newspaper reporter, um, or not not a, a reporter per se. He was really just a cartoonist. He lucked into it. Mainly he started out writing sports cartoons, and he developed this fascination with like extreme sports, back in the early, like the 1910s and teens. So he would write a cartoon about the guy who long jumped the furthest, or ran the fastest backwards hundred yard dash, <laughs> or you know swam I don't know the English Channel, or did just uh, you know could, could walk up and down a, a flight of stairs on his on his head. Um, he just like immediately became intrigued by the weird things that people do, um, just for kicks or for attention or whatever that their, their their desire might be. But but what I what I love about his story is that that interest in, in and those extremes and and people doing weird things evolved into this broader fascination of just just odd stuff happening around the world. So um, he traveled the world pretty early on in the mid teens, just before World War II. He, he traveled to to uh, Europe and the Middle East. Later in his life, he traveled to what he claimed were 201 countries. And he he wouldn't just go there and be a typical tourist, although he could act that way. He would go there and try and find out, you know, like uh, um, a group of headhunters or cannibals um, in Fiji or in, in, uh, you know, in Indonesia somewhere. And he would try and meet with, you know, these people who who did extreme things either in their religion or in their day-to-day life. And he was just fascinated by the world. And I just loved and appreciated that. That um, I don't know appreciation for for what's happening a- elsewhere in the world, and and I think you're right that we see a lot of his influence today in both both good and bad. Right? Well, like you see, his, yeah. Go ahead. No,
0: just, sorry. Just to jump in, be, just for a little bit of background, because we don't have the people doing the job that he does now. Because at that time, you actually had people who were cartoonists, but they were also seen in a sense as journalists, that they would illustrate their. Story. We don't We don't have anything like that now. I mean, I suppose a videographer, a, a TV reporter or someone or online shooting their own stories with them in it would probably be the closest thing. But this, this is a job that no longer exists.
3: Totally, yeah. And if you think about it, back at, at that time when Ripley was coming into prominence, and he worked in obscurity for a long time, but you didn't typically have photographs in, in newspapers. Newspapers is how people learned about um, not just politics or their community but about what's happening elsewhere in the world
0: and the world and, was a very and, big place then
3: huge you know people just didn't like you know he he, he hopped on um, on these uh, uh, um, international freighters back in the t- teens and 20s at a time when nobody traveled the world you know like nobody just got on a boat and went to America in 1925 the way he did so he was able to go out and actually see these places See beautiful artwork and sculptures and and interesting cultures, draw it, and then um, send that back to his office in New York and then people around uh, the the U.S. and beyond and and internationally through the International – I forget, News Tribune – People would see his photographs and get a sense of what's happening in other parts of the world through those those uh, cartoons.
0: Where did the idea, though, because he was, as you say, a sports cartoonist, where did the idea come from or the, when did it flip over that he started doing the from the unusual sports to the truly weird in the world?
3: Yeah, I think it was like a slow progression, right? Like initially it was sports, um, and then every once in a while he would veer a little outside of sports. But if you, um, like I did, kind of track the progression of his cartoons and the essays that accompanied his cartoons, you could tell this guy was, was just curious about everything in the world. And I think um, something about World War I, um tweaked him, you know, where he – um, read about or, or later on would see the destruction that occurred in some of the places that he had once visited. Um, I think that's where he developed this this interest in moving well beyond sports and just telling people about the world because he felt they needed to know. And I think, too, what he he really admired and appreciated people who were doing different things or living different lifestyles. I mean, I think he was... He was a little bit of a of a ugly American at times, and and his his commentary would at times sound like, you know, t- that
0: today we would view as pretty <laughs> not PC. <laughs> we might blanch today. Times. Yes.
1: You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: We're chatting with Neil Thompson, who is the author of A Curious Man, The Strange and Brilliant Life of Robert Believe It or Not Ripley. It's a terrific, terrific book. I'll tell you at the end of the segment where you can find it. I'll remind you about it. If you need a Christmas gift, it's a perfect thing to get for somebody who likes interesting stuff. Uh, But in the meantime, Neil, got a few minutes left. Um, Did he, did Robert Ripley himself coin the phrase or call his cartoon Believe It or Not? Was that his idea or was that given to him?
3: You know, it, he claims credit for it, or did he? He passed away in 1949, but uh, he always claimed that it was his idea. Um, and he also claims that it wasn't. Um, and this part, I believe, he he just sort of threw the, this thing together. The, the the original one that was called Believe It or Not, like we discussed earlier, he was always working on these um, collections or cartoons that that featured odd things, people, uh, odd oddities in science and religion and culture and, and sports. Um, and that one day when the first Believe It or Not cartoon appeared, it was kind of a compilation of a few of these um, oddities that he had featured previously in cartoons. And then he claims he just wrote across the top of it, Believe It or Not, that it just came to him.
0: This made I don't know him
3: if it's true or not, but it's amazing, right, that that that, that phrase. Has has lived on for a hundred years, and I see absolutely almost every day. Yeah,
0: and it made him even back at that time extraordinarily rich. I mean, he was in, he, he was fair to say one of the more famous people in the world at one point.
3: Yeah, in his day, it's it's incredible to think about it now because we don't even really know who he who he was. But um, in the 1930s and 1940s, he was on your radio. He was um, in the film in, in theaters because he did short films. He was in your newspaper. He wrote best-selling books. He lived on an island and in, in a mansion just north of New York City. He had a harem literally, of of girlfriends coming through. (laughs) He collected weird stuff from around the world that he uh, had featured all all throughout his uh, strange home, which was kind of a, a museum and a uh, you know, a declaration of everything that uh, that he had uh, believed in, uh, the weird stuff that he had believed in from around the world. So fascinating guy, super wealthy, super popular during his day, and I think it's cool that we're, 100 years later, still, still uh, remembering his influence.
0: Well, and in the minute or so left I have with you, I mean, l- let's get to the relevance, because y- people can say, well, that was 100 years ago. We don't do these kind of things in newspapers. You don't have cartoons like this anymore. Why could it be relevant? I, I was thinking about this today, and it dawned on me that he probably, in a weird way, was the precursor to shows like TMZ and to other tabloid stuff and to entertainment shows in some ways and reality TV, almost all this kind of, we crave finding weird stuff, whether it's weird animals or just weird people. And that was him.
3: Absolutely. I think he pioneered that and, and was way, way ahead of his time. I mean, you can you could make a long list of, uh, of things that you see on the internet and on TV, uh, you know, from, from funny home videos to, you know, stupid cat pet tricks, that kind of thing. I mean, it was all part of his repertoire back in the day. And and uh, I think he really tapped into something that people craved and, and, and maybe even needed just access to the weirdness of the world.
0: Just before I let you go, you, you mentioned that he was doing radio and film bits and all that kind of stuff. Was he still alive, though, to understand the empire that he'd built? Because his name is everywhere now and all kinds of stuff that isn't really originally. Did he Did he know more than just from his newspapers and from his wealth there? Did he realize the empire he had built?
3: Yeah, I I think he did. He lived long enough and and controlled that empire long enough to know that he had a, a pretty deep influence on American culture and American media, um, and not just American. I mean global. He, his radio shows were, were transmitted around the world, as were in his books. So I think he, he did have a sense of that and got to enjoy it. End of his life was a little bit dark. I think World, world War II had a pretty big effect on him. He was a, 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 pre, a really deep devotee of, of, of China and of all things Asian, and to see what happened um, during World War II with the destruction of some of the cities that he. Did Visited and loved, and to see his beloved China uh, become a communist country. I think he 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 had this slow decline in the late 1940s, and ultimately had a heart attack at a relative the relatively young age of 59. But he had built this empire, and and it and it did survive.
0: Neil Thompson, the book is called A Curious Man. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this today. Thanks so much.
3: Thanks for reaching out, Scott. Good to talk to you. <laughs>
1: You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: The World Junior Hockey Tournament, as you know, starts on Boxing Day every year. There has never before been a member of the Hamilton Bulldogs who has made the roster. There is this year. For the first time ever, a Hamilton Bulldog player has made the team. His name is Mackenzie Entwistle. We're going to be talking to him one of these days soon because today he's playing a game tonight. He found out that he made the team for sure this morning. They're playing a game tonight, a pre-tournament game. Obviously, we, we tried to get him to put a cell phone on the bench and talk to us. They weren't really thrilled about that idea with the team. Instead, we're going to bring in our Bubba, Bubba, our buddy Bubba O'Neal. Sir, how are you tonight?
4: Not bad. I, it's actually, kind of anxiously awaiting to see. Um, you know, the, the, the games against U-Sport for the team, the hopeful teams, That was getting put together there and being evaluated was kind of bland and they lost two of three so now to see them up against switzerland who's in a world-class competition is going to be really interesting for me to see this world this uh, this version early version of the of the juniors
0: what do you think it means or does for the bulldogs to finally have a player make that roster because i think i think it's a big deal i think it's impactful for this franchise to have put a player on this team but what do you think
4: I think any anytime you have uh, upper echelon players on your club that that's you know a good thing, and I think other players prospects, kids that are drafted from the ontario um from the Ontario minor leagues and that kind of thing uh they they look at this and say you know hey so and so played here and so and so played here now i with that being said, and probably to your point, you're talking about a very elite twenty two players across the nation I mean we have four different brands of junior hockey. In this country, when Quebec and the OHL and uh, and and teams out west and it's sorry three teams, three leagues, and yep. and, and I mean there, there are great players everywhere, Scott. So to be one of those twenty-two players and to be a franchise that has one of those players, uh, definitely a good selling point.
0: Well, and especially when you have developed that player because yep. he was here as a sixteen-year-old. He was drafted. He was the Bulldogs' second-ever draft pick, and. I mean, obviously he was a second round pick. People thought he might turn into something, but I don't know they really thought he was going to turn into this. And here's why I think it's such a big deal, Bubba, because the World Junior Tournament, not everybody watches the Hamilton Bulldogs. You and I both completely understand that there is a market for it and there are people who do and there are people who don't. But there are a ton of people who never watch junior hockey, but do tune in. For the World Junior Tournament. And if you can have a guy on that team who keeps who you see as a Hamilton Bulldog player, I think that's a selling point to the team. That people who otherwise are just casual fans suddenly become aware
4: there 's no doubt about that, and I think that extends to the kids too, because you know there 's lots of opportunity. there 's not a lot of opportunities for many kids out there and kids that are upcoming in in the junior ranks and i 'm talking much younger kids that are dreaming to be hockey players they don 't get an opportunity maybe on weekends maybe to see some of these junior stars, but during the week when a lot of games are being played, they don't get to see them. But for whatever reason, because it's the holidays, uh, it is an opportunity for a lot of young kids to say, wow, I want to be one of those kids. And you know, Mackenzie Entwistle, uh, he he had an interview here on on CHCH on our morning show, and that was one of the things that he discussed uh, a couple of weeks ago, about about a month ago, is that It's the memories are still so fresh in his head of his family, he and his family watching this tournament on television, and himself thinking to himself, by then he had already decided he wanted to be a hockey player, that he wanted to be in that tournament one day. So Dream realized, and that's a wonderful thing for us.
0: No, it is. And and here's the best part about this, and people are going to think that I'm just sucking up. It's not the case, because I would say it if it wasn't. Uh, Mackenzie is honestly one of the nicest kids, the most polite kids, the most down to earth kids that has ever come through the Bulldogs organization, honestly. And he's the captain of the team now and that's well earned, but this is a kid who is a level headed kid. This is one of those kids that you can root for and feel really good about and say, he's not going to come back with his head in the clouds, looking down on everybody. I'm, I'm very happy of all the people on that team. He's the, well, not the one, but he's one of the ones that I would be very happy that he had this happen to him.
4: No, there's no doubt about that, and I think you're totally bang on with the, you know, him being a respectful guy. I mean, heck, let's be honest here. He's the captain of the Hamilton Bulldogs, and I don't care what level of hockey you're playing at. When you're a captain of a team, that means you've garnered the respect of not only your players but also the organization. So that goes to show you what kind of, uh, you know, esteem he is being held in. And and there are older players on the Bulldogs that could easily be the captain. But uh, McKenzie's leaving the way on the uh, defending OHL championship team.
0: Let us switch to a different Canadian sport, because we've heard in the last we now we knew this was going to happen, but we've heard in the last week that two of the bigger name CFL quarterbacks, Mike Riley for Edmonton and Bo Levi Mitchell of Calgary, have both been getting NFL tryout time. Bo Levi Mitchell, apparently today the report was he's already had three or four Tryouts or practices, and he's got four more on the agenda coming up. We hear what does it do? Is it a bad thing for the CFL? Because I'm never sure how this plays. Is it a good thing or a bad thing if two of your top quarterbacks end up leaving the league and going to the NFL? If they were to get signed, is that a Feather in your cap if you're the league by saying, look what we produced, or is it, a, oh, man, we just lost two of our marquee players?
4: You know, it's a, it's, a bad, it's a bad thing and a good thing all in one, and let me explain why I say this. It's a bad thing because anytime you lose top-end talent in the Canadian Football League, and you're talking about in Bo Levi Mitchell's case, and even Mike Riley's case the year before, you're talking about the most outstanding player in the league. The, good, the, the bad, the, the, so that's the bad to me, right? Because these are the stars that people pay to go see and and, and, and are the better team. Play. I mean, you want to see talent. You want to see good players. The good for that is good, the good for the player because they have now completed, in maybe in some case for some of these players, an apprenticeship that they were not ready for the National Football League from the time they are drafted. And with the experience that they've gained here in Canada, they've learned to redevelop their game be a leader, be effective, put up points, and I'm talking about quarterbacks here, and, and, and move on from there. The problem with that is that the player will always say, you know what, I went up to Canada and I became a better player. Unfortunately, the people, I mean, say Bo Levi Mitchell goes to, I'll throw Jacksonville. No one in Jacksonville is giving the Canadian Football League credit for developing this guy. It's, it's like, I've oh, been in Canada there's, for a while. There's two
0: guys. There's two guys that I can remember that ever got that kind of pump-up for the league. One of them was Warren Moon, and one was Doug Flutie. And I can't think of any others other than those guys who ever got what you, you just know said.
4: What, Scott? Sorry to, to interrupt, but I, I disagree, because I know there are – we think, we know that. We know that Warren Moon spent five years up here, won five championships. We know that Doug Flutie was a failure in the, in the NFL, came to Canada, and became arguably Of the maybe the best statistical seasons we have ever seen. But generally to Americans and American football fans, that is quickly forgotten.
0: So they just disappeared and then re-emerged.
4: Absolutely. And I think the only one that people actually know about, and I say this because of social media, I say that because of YouTube, I say that because he was such a polarizing man, is Johnny Manziel. Where people will actually say, oh, he's up in Canada right now. No one knew that Warren Moon, who was drafted, who wanted to, who was a quarterback out of Washington State, won a Rose Bowl. He did disappear for for a lot of Americans. He did disappear, and then five years later came back with Hugh Campbell, and you know went on to be a, a, a football hall, a, you know, football hall of famer. And and I say the same thing for Doug Flutie. No one, few people, know that he actually put up these crazy numbers in Toronto, BC, and Calgary. They just see that, oh, see now he's finally matured.
0: I. The other part about this is, even if you could convince you or me that that wasn't going to be the case, even if you could make a case that if Bo Levi Mitchell lands on an NFL team, that somehow that is going to work as a selling tool or a marketing tool for the CFL, which, as you just expressed, is unlikely, the more likely scenario for Bo Levi Mitchell or Mike Riley is that they leave the CFL and they go down to the NFL and they're a backup quarterback who doesn't even play very much. So now the CFL loses two of its best players and they don't even get to play in the NFL to do that sales job.
4: Yeah. and, and But here's the thing. Uh, they make a lot more money though. Uh, yeah. It, it's not even a lot more. It's a lot more. <laughs> right. And, you do get that experience of, and for those guys of learning, again, the four-down game once again and learning that smaller field. And it could be a year or two of development for them before they do get a chance because there have been some quarterbacks that have gone back to the National Football League uh, or have gone to the National Football League and just haven't been that good. Dieter Brock is one that comes to mind. Um, you know, went to an LA Rams team that put together a very good record, went to the playoffs, but it certainly wasn't because of him. He, he, I mean, it was almost like they didn't want him to pass, but he had a Hall of Fame running back in Eric Dickerson that he could give the ball to. Um, and there are some, like as you said, Warren Moon would be the one who had immediate success and had a very long, excellent career in, in the NFL. So I see a lot of pluses and minuses. And you constantly hear this from the CFL fans and the CFL themselves. They don't want to be seen as a feeder league to the National Football League. So, and yet, every
0: they... player, or at least most of the players, would be very happy if that was the case.
4: Sure, because it gives them an opportunity, you know. And now, not to not to to, to be a, to put scare tactics in here. Now, I'm concerned is the Amer- the American Alliance of Football. Yep. Um, and the which
0: XFL, is, which is a second, is down from that one. But the American Alliance of Football, it's a startup league, for those who don't know. It's supposed to be starting, is it next summer or the summer after? This,
4: this, this, this spring, summer. This spring. And
0: they're paying, on average, it'll be higher salaries than the CFL is paying.
4: I, 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 thought, I believe it's a cap league, Scott.
0: Yeah, but I, it'll still I, work I, out to slightly higher, I understand. The point then the would average, be... Than the, right, the average, right. Than the average.
4: $75,000 U.S. A, team, a player is what they're capping players at. So, right, on the average, I would say you players are not in the Canadian game making, on the average, $75,000 U.S.
0: So It's a tough one. This this becomes, to, to me, a real tough one because if you, again, I think a lot of people up here like the thought of saying, hey, look who we've graduated to the NFL, and the CFL certainly would market this and certainly would, I think, while they don't want to, point attention away from the league would say hey look look at how good our players are they're now down in the NFL but you start skimming the top top players out of your league I don't care who's coming up behind it's going to be tough to backfill with the same level
4: but let me throw you this Scott and and uh, this is something that I have long thought about I really have given this a long long thought and as I you know I've had some you know the last couple years I've had I think a really good experience you know, doing color on, on another radio station for the McMaster Marauders football station, uh, football team. You know what? If these players do go to the American Alliance of Football, if they go to the XFL, you know what? I'm okay now. I used to be, I I, I never used to think that. Because this country is developing players in sport generally, basketball especially, and now what I'm seeing Canadian football players are so much better than they were just 10 years ago and if this gives the league an opportunity to finally have a Canadian football quarterback of excellence and many other players there are wonderful players in this league there are wonderful Canadian players that are playing in the United States that probably won't get a look or probably won't get drafted in the NFL and if they come home and play here and we get provided with an excellent brand of football that's, that, that's really not much different than what it is now because of the Canadian quota. But now we get to see some Canadians playing the key positions. As opposed to my thoughts before that I, I, I couldn't see that happening, I now can't see that what happening.
0: What about an all-Canadian league? Let's just make it all-Canadian.
4: Well, I, no, I'm just saying whatever it is now. And now, now we're just seeing more Canadian players. I don't know if it has to be all-Canadian. I don't want to put a cap on anything. But I, I think this now opens the door. If more players are going to go to the States, so be it. That's just another opportunity for, for maybe a Canadian player. And again, the, the improvement of some of these players, and those and, and remember, these are the ones that have been trained on the big field. These are the ones that have been trained playing three-down football.
0: Let me ask you one more thing about this. If you are a team other than Calgary or Edmonton, who potentially could lose your franchise quarterback. Are the rest of the teams in the league salivating at the possibility that those teams are going to lose that guy or are the rest of the teams in the league looking big picture and saying what we've just been talking about, saying, I don't know that it's good for us to be losing these star players because if they're gone it certainly makes it easier for Winnipeg and Hamilton and Ottawa and other teams to to win so I mean do you, do you think most of the people in this league are big picture viewers or my team viewers
4: I think I think people are win viewers if your team wins you're all you're, you're okay now if you're Montreal and you're rebuilding well that there's your challenge that's what you have general managers and and scouts for and like I said, if there are, because I know there are, and I think you know there are too. There are great Canadian running backs across, you know, the Canadian university level that could probably play on a team right now, and there are probably great Canadian quarterbacks that are sitting on rosters right now that will never get a chance because of the American coaches putting in American players, or they just had a be- what they believe is a, a more accomplished background playing in the, in the NCAA. I'm 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 all for the best being the best trust me there i will say that if you're the better player i don't care where you come from but if there's more of an opportunity now for these canadian players to stay home and play here so be it and i think teams should start thinking that way as well too because i think you're starting to get to a point now about the long-term success of the canadian game and if we want to sell that it's a canadian product and it's canadian rules we should also put that same mindset to canadian players as well
0: All right, one more topic to switch around to. Again, sticking with Canada, Mark Shapiro, the president of the Blue Jays, emerged from some sort of hibernation, I think, today and talked to the media. He's been absolutely out of sight, putting Ross Atkins up front forever. Uh, And I got to tell you, if I have to listen to one more interview with Ross Atkins... He may be a very bright guy, but he has absolutely mastered the art of speaking in ways that no human should ever speak. (laughs) Ross Atkins is the worst interview in the history of mankind. There are people we who o-
4: we got a lot of respect for that player. There are yeah,
0: there are there are people who speak only swahili that I would rather listen to in an interview and get more out of than Ross Atkins doing a talk about anything. The man is literally mm-hmm. the human insomnia machine. Uh, no, wait, it's not insomnia. He'd put you to sleep, not keep you awake. <laughs> whatever it is. He, he's horrible. He may be a good GM,
4: I don't know. He's very well media trained, I'll tell you that, Mark. No,
0: he's No, I don't think he is well media trained because I think Alex Anthopoulos was well media trained because then when he's done, you go, hey, I feel pretty good about what I just heard. Not, I want to pry the eardrums out of my head with two screwdrivers before I listen to another word. But anyway, Mark Shapiro emerges from whatever... Quantum of solace he was in for the last number of months because we've not seen nor heard of him. And we start hearing some, again, Atkins esque non language about where the Blue Jays are going to go, blah, 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 blah. I mean, if you could interpret any of what these two guys are talking about, I give you full marks because it's absolute just air filler. That all leading into this, we are hearing now that one of the teams seriously in the mix for Manny Machado, who is one of the two leading free agents seemingly on the market this year, is the New York Yankees. We know Boston won, what, 108 games last year and has almost everybody back, including the league MVP. If the Yankees add Manny Machado, and they've got a young team as well. And Bryce Harper. And, well, who knows? He may be going to fill Well, who knows where he's going? But Machado alone, if they do it. Should the Blue Jays not just take the next three years off? Let's just save our dough, not even feel the team, because there is, Bubba, there is zero, zero chance of the Blue Jays being even in a wild card game for the next three years if Machado goes to the Yankees. It's already bleak, but you bring in a superstar infielder, a youngish guy on an already good team, there is no chance the Blue Jays are playing for anything.
4: Well, you know what, Scott? I mean, have you not been watching the last couple of years, or at least last year, th- th- this is what exactly they've oh, been I doing. Know. They've been doing this without anyone saying this. And and I will say this, it's necessary, right? You're talking about the you, the Blue Jays were the oldest team in the league and they were going nowhere. I get it. They were going nowhere. What, what was done very quietly, and once you start seeing teams, especially in the Maple Leafs did this in their year of going down to the bottom, once you start signing a bunch of guys to one-year contracts, then you know you're in full teardown mode. Of course, right? but
0: right now watching the Yankees and the Red Sox against the Jays is like watching a nuclear arms race between the United States and Liechtenstein. <laughs> like it's like it's not even a, it's not even a competition. It's you know there is no the Blue Jays have no chance and it's not even just because there are limited wild card teams in the in baseball it's because they have to play eighteen games a year against each of those teams that's and right. they're going to lose fifteen of them that's right and you're done right there even but, if you could be better I, than some teams in the but that's
4: Central that's okay that's okay because because this team is in rebuild mode and everyone knows it and that's okay you can't be where they were. For you know, time after time after time, without spending unbelievable amounts of money, and give them credit. Even with last year's, dare I say, crap team, they were 11th in. They had the 11th highest payroll in baseball. It wasn't working. They need to tear it down. And and hey, and maybe what will happen is what Tampa Bay is doing. Tampa Bay have developed a team that is going to compete, in my opinion, against the Red Sox and the Yankees. Look at the signings that they have cra- they have made. They are adding some very crafty veterans and some high end talent to a very young squad that I believe can compete with those guys this year. So maybe that's the, the model that the Blue Jays will be taking in in the future, and that it will take two to three years to build a team like that.
0: Or, or you simply hope that everybody on the Yankees and Red Sox suffers a season ending, but not life inhibiting. Groin injury. Simultaneously, the whole team pulls their groin all at the same time and can't play. And maybe you have a chance. I don't know. I don't. Yeah. You know what? I got to let you go. But I was watching. It, it, I couldn't help but notice this. I was watching Moneyball the other day. It was on TV, and I was flipping channels. And uh, it's one of those movies that you just stop when you come to Moneyball. I don't know. I just do anyway. I couldn't help but notice how often in that movie, Shapiro, who is now Mark Shapiro, he was with the Indians then, was the guy who was getting hose-bagged by the A's. (laughs) It was always, we need to make a crappy trade, We we need to fleece someone, call Shapiro, get Shapiro on the phone. It was like, wait a second, that's the guy that, did the Blue Jays brass not watch Moneyball before hiring this guy? He's the guy that you call when you need to pull something over on someone.
4: You're so rough on
0: these guys. Well, it's because I will back off. I don't even care what they do with the team. I'll back off when they give an interview that honestly does not make you want to drink, I don't know, everything that you can find in your liquor cabinet all at the same time just to dull the pain. These guys, I would love it if once, and it's hard to do in this business because, you know, especially if you're the host broadcast network, you really can't take the guys on because you don't, you know, you, you're They're not your allowed. partners. You're your partners. But I would like somebody once, every time they start, to go, wait, 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 hold on. Let's start again and please talk English. And when they start again, no, 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 stop, stop. English. English. Let's start. No, but Ross, stop. We're going to talk English. And eventually, you'll, he'll just walk away and you go, see, they can't do it. They can't do it.
4: You know, I'll, I have to admit, I, when I opened up, you know, this morning, like, as you and I do, we, we open up the Internet and the newspaper, what's going on in sports, whether, you know, overnight, whatever. And when I saw that, you know, Blue, oh, there's Blue Jays news, and that today's big Blue Jays news is that they were, you know, looking to improve the facilities in Dunedin. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Distraction! <Don't, laughs> look at the shiny object, not at the car coming barreling <laughs> down the highway towards you. Yeah, there you go. That's uh, beautiful days right before Christmas. Merry Christmas, Blue Jays fans. Although they wouldn't say Merry Christmas. They say, we have an appreciation for this time of the year when the weather turns crispy and the statistics and analytics tell us that there's a possibility of snow. Bubba O'Neill, always love having you on. Have a Merry Christmas, my friend.
4: Oh, yes. Again, happy holidays to everyone. Merry Christmas to everyone. And uh, always a pleasure and looking forward to talking to you soon.
1: The Scott Radley Show, weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML.
0: The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.